All right, welcome everybody to Jesse Ventura's Die First, Then Quit, the Independent Streak podcast. I am Tyrell Ventura, joined by my one and only former co-host, partner in crime, there at the very beginning, Tabitha Wallace, who was with me on Watching the Hawks. Yeah, and before that even. Yes, long before that. Like we did, we, we, we go back to the buzzsaw days. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it all started with buzzsaw. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I was a producer, and then I got dragged in front of the camera. Yes, you got dragged in front of the camera because they realized that Ty was total shit by himself in front of the camera and needed a proper, and needed a proper foil. Uh, <laughs> that was the general gist of that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we can't, we can't let Ty do this by himself. Like, it's just a mess. So yeah, so all right, so that goes back how many years now? That's the that buzzsaw we did for- 2013, 2012? Yeah, 2013, 2012, and then we yeah. started watching the Hawks in 2015, I think? Yep, yeah, it was in spring, like April. Then we were on RT for, well, five years together. Yep. And then I yep. dropped out right before, the, <laughs> right before the pandemic hit. That's I don't know about right. the timing, but- I think it was- Pretty fucking good timing, given the reasons as to why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny because there's this idea with RT that, and we talk about this a lot, that there it's this high-tech, highly intellectual, uh, you know, campaign to manipulate people. And honestly, I it's just, like I always say, it's like it's they weren't that organized. It no. wasn't like that. It wasn't. They wish. They wish that it yeah. was like. But even then, it's not like they wish because they want. They wish in terms of like, if only we were more organized, we could do better propaganda. <laughs> they just wish they could just be better organized. Well, no, they didn't wish because they didn't realize how unorganized they were most of the time. No. Uh, that was the true. The true tragedy. Well, one of the many true tragedies there was was the fact that like it was like. It was like working at a startup that never stopped being a startup despite being open for a really long time. That was pretty much RT America. Right. And to go from very, very, very micro, low budget buzzsaw days um, that was made on a shoestring and all of that to then something that was less organized and had less basic journalistic ethics, which I think if you've ever, you worked on a show, you know, if you've ever worked on anything that is documentary style or like conspiracy theory or something you understand at least there's basics there's basic standards you have to follow and when people start being like what standards but we have a we have somebody who will scream about sex robots every friday <laughs> and then somehow that's like the things that go viral and all of that i think they just give them a lot more credit and i think what's sad is that if you had simply really listened to people who, you know, were living in the United States in the mid to late 2010s, that they were seeing something wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that you can just like hire a bunch of people and put on a show and see how it goes for as long as it did at all mm -hmm. is shocking. Yeah. 
And then that, and to be clear, we're not like, when we talk about this, we're not talking about the inner workings of putting on watching the Hawks. No, no. It's more the macrocosm of. Which is just media. In general. Yeah. yeah of of RT news. America and cable news as a whole too. Yeah. You know, when you compared like the budgets of RT America compared to let's say CNN or Fox, it's fucking small potatoes. Right. Uh, which still blows your mind in terms of like, oh my God, like, yeah. you know, like. Like they're getting this much, which is a huge pile of money, but that's like a fucking mouse turd compared to like what the budgets of like CNN and Fox and MSNBC deal with. It, it's incredible, like when you look at cable news as a whole, all of it lumped together, how just truly, I don't even know what words I'd use to describe it, insane. The, it's trash. Yeah, the, it's the, the trash. principles are behind it. like Because there are none. And I think that's where, if, if, if I've learned anything in the last decade, spent seven of them in a news position, somewhere I never really thought I'd be. I mean, I love the idea of making people cry like Barbara Walters and stuff. Like, But I never was like, I'm going to be a reporter. But as a storyteller... That were the that was the parts that I really liked was being able to go out and find people's stories and help them tell those stories, and that job made me want to do that more. It made me realize like I have to be a storyteller one way or the other. That's that's how I'm going to survive <laughs> the apocalypse. Um, but when it comes to cable news as a whole, like as a medium, I I don't believe in that anymore. I don't yeah. think it's good. I don't think it's any better than current affair and all it's like it's the same thing they just shined it up and made it seem super professional but at the end of the day cable news is not good for us it's not good for society no no it really isn't because i think that they really i mean you could trace the problem back probably a lot further but i think it really kind of it, it's when cable news decided at some point to take the espn model right it's it and, and use that on politics. It's when they suddenly decided that okay, sports. yeah, we're gonna use the sports model of like we're gonna have two people on. They clearly care about like their favorite team or whatever or favorite player, and then they're gonna sit and argue and pontificate about everything. And you have to be on two opposing sides, so you get this idea of conflict and argument. And they somehow decided it's like John Stewart had that great moment where he called out Crossfire. And, and I think that. it was Tucker Carlson and yep. the other guy, which it's funny. Alan like, Combs. What about you? Was it was it Alan Combs? No, who, who the fuck was the other guy in CrossFit? I can't remember, but it shows you how much How impact. much anybody remembers. Yeah. yeah, and if you haven't seen it, Jon Stewart went on there at like the height of his popularity, The Daily Show, and just totally pulled back the curtain on the theatricality of Crossfire. And Crossfire was essentially the model of what we see now every day on cable news, where mm -hmm. You have this person from the right, this person from the left, and then they argue and over da da da. But yet they agree on like foreign policy all the time or militarism and all that kind of shit. Right. On the big ones. On the big ones. The big yeah. Ones, the important ones. But Jon Stewart like pulled back that curtain live on their own show and showed them for the frauds that they are. Yeah. And you would have thought, and that was like a huge cultural mm -hmm. moment. Because they tried to turn it around and him go, "What about you?" And he was like, "I'm on, like the show that comes after mine is." is a prank phone call show. With puppets. With puppets. Yeah. Clearly you can't take me that seriously. And there were times I felt the same way, the RT thing, where people would be like, well, but you're not a real journalist. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, do you think I think I am? Like, I know I didn't go to Columbia. 
I know I didn't intern with the New York Times. I'm aware of all of these things, <laughs> like that I'm not delusional, but it's sort of delusional to think that it was any different. I, Whether I, it's Fox, MSNBC, like sure, the ideas are different. And sometimes the commentary is a little more, is a little better in one than the other, obviously. But at the end of the day, it is a garbage medium. Yep. Which, and I think you see it on a smaller scale with like YouTube, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. the cream does not always rise to the top. No. No. And especially in the quote unquote news commentary space, which, and I say this as someone who made a living being a news commentator, oh, again, pointless shot. Why? Do you really need me? Right. To break down this stuff? Or could we just maybe just not make it? Like, I think people make things in the media. They like to, they make money by making things more complicated than they really are. Yes. And then confusing people about the issue. Yep. Yep. And if you're someone who says, here, let me simplify this, clarify it for you, and let me simplify the issue, that's considered partisan. That's, you know, how dare you? Mm -hmm. and, and, and give yourself credit, though, Tab, in the sense is that you did have a background in two things that actually I thought, and I think, you know, viewers of watching the Hawks thought, made you very good at the job at, at being a, at being a political commentator and and someone who gave a platform to important stories or figures or whatever you know and uh and that's like you did intern at cnn for a minute or i uh, not seen uh newsweek i worked at newsweek yeah, yeah for like, a year so you had a background in news yeah, uh, and exactly. then you also had a background in in theater and presentation and and how to take something, let's say, as complex as Shakespearean dialogue and present it in a way for people to understand. Right, which is the basic, like, if you haven't figured that out by the end of, like, theater school, you've, you've messed up. And that's mm -hmm. why I was like, why can't you make this easier? Your buzzwords and everything else, like, why are we doing that? And that's where I was like, the constant criticism of being, like, misinformation or disinformation Especially on our show. I mean, I can say the work I did and the work that was around me. Yeah. Um, and the people who worked around us, and especially on our show, had some of the highest levels of ethics when it came to things, as I've ever seen. Yep. That wasn't always the norm at, that at RT America, because they kind of, they would hire a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different political viewpoints, which on one hand is great, but on the other hand, the much I'm sure with CNN and MSNBC and Fox, the, who got the priority and who got the, you know, special treatment for lack of a better terminology, was always a little like, hmm, really? This person, you know. Well, and the people who were allowed to say things that were patently untrue. Yes. That did shoddy journalism yep. and shoddy. And to me, it's like even news gathering, you know, call it what you want to call it. If it's just, I'm, I think the idea that like, oh, I'm just talking about it. I didn't actually do the thing. It keeps you, you become like a presenter. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, this isn't Price is Right. This is the real world. And you can't just point at the chart like it's a new washer dryer and everything is great, you know? Like, there's just, there's more to it than just the hand gestures. Mm -hmm. um, I'm lucky, I went to theater school, so I already knew the hand gestures. Like yes. I knew all the, the basics about how to present in a certain way. But I also never once, when giving my opinion, 
or commenting on something, any moment that was taped on air, was I ever not completely genuine in what I said. Yes. Which is what got me into trouble with some people because they didn't like it. Because I'd say, well, I don't. And it's, that's when you suddenly have fans or other people who are like, well, I thought you were cool, but now I find out that you're... XYZ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't that, realize you were one of those kinds of feminists. And I remember that, yeah, that would happen hilariously from both sides of the political oh, spectrum. It's so like, much from both sides. You kind of expected it from the right. It was the left that hurt the most. But the left that hurt the most because, look, you know, we're both very socially liberal. You're a, a, a devout feminist fighting for women's equality and rights. You always f stand up for, for the little person who is being trampled on, whether by uh, institutional system or a you know large group of people with privilege who don't want to share that privilege. Right. And I think when it comes from the left, it's much more heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I had a panel discussion with somebody we had on about transgender rights. And it got heated because this person likes to play the, the person definitely was like a play the TV game. And that's what they do. They come in and they're all like, you're, we're friends. Everything's cool. And I'm going to go put the show on where I say these awful things. And in their opinion, in their opinion. opinion. And I was fighting a very strict conservative who was like, no, it's a mental illness. All of this, whatever. <laughs> I got through it. I shut her down. And another woman who worked there came up to me in the bathroom to tell me to, to question me and be like, you're not really like you realize like trans women are like taking rights away from us. Like there that's you can't possibly seriously think that's OK. And I remember this was someone who, who is very leftist, socialist, like yeah, hardcore yeah. leftist. And it's like I am being I am being verbally assaulted by a turf, a trans exclusionary radical feminists, as we call them, uh, transphobes, uh, in a bathroom is the only time I've ever had an issue with trans people in bathrooms is that I had to listen to this woman tell me that I shouldn't care about trans people and that it ruins the left. It's going to ruin the left. It's going to ruin this. And I'm thinking, did nobody pay attention at all when you went to these very prestigious schools, apparently, for things like political science and history and all of this, and yet some of you seem to have zero understanding that every time the left has taken that, that moment of saying, well, we're not going to do this because we can't have lesbians in the women's movement, it'll look bad. But, but we can do that. But like women can't have the vote first, then black men can have the vote. No way. Maybe one. It's always like, well, you got to let one thing go. You got to let another thing go. You have to. You have to keep pushing back and pushing back and make them comfortable. And I think that idea of leftism, which is weird to me, especially from like socialists and communists, that you're saying like, let's just be like them and then we'll trick them into liking us. And what's weird about that is it, it, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where I believe that if you get so calcified in your own belief system, you eventually come full circle back into the thing that you were fighting against to begin with. Yeah. You know, you can get so lost in your own echo chamber and your own people telling you how great you are or having the same conversations over and over and never letting any other alternative viewpoint in, even to disagree with it and, and call it out in a teaching moment or in a, or sometimes in a battle moment, whatever, that Eventually, it's like you, you get to this point of, well, it's my way or the highway and fuck everybody else. Right. And, and that, to me, is a very 
even if what you believe in is the most noble thing on earth, it's still a very dangerous stance to have because that to me is, well, how is that any different from someone, you know, saying I'll never, everything should be pro fucking capitalism or healthcare should be capitalist. Everything has to be capitalist and I'm never changing my mind no matter what and fuck everybody else who thinks otherwise. To me, what's the, what's the difference then in, in terms of character? Yeah, your political yeah. viewpoints might be, like the details of what you believe in might be different, but your character is the same as the people you don't like. Right. And but then how are you better? You're not. You're standing in a Starbucks waiting for your coffee, arguing about how you can't really be a communist unless you really understand how, you know, removing yourself from capitalism, you know, while you're waiting for your coffee. Like, right. it's like. Or holding your fucking iMac, you know, holding your Apple phone that was. Yeah, exactly. Like made in a sweatshop in China. Right. While talking about like, oh, how dare they do this? I think there's a very fine line between criticizing your country and then just being um, a misanthrope about everything with the country. It's like, yes, we know we're a garbage country. We've got a lot of problems. We've had problems for a very, very long time here. Nobody's I don't think anybody really thinks except for a very small majority of people. That, and even those, even the, the MAGA heads don't believe that everything's perfect. No, no. So it's weird to me that we can't criticize without it taking such a weird turn where they're like, I will not be proven wrong ever. Mm -hmm. But I think that's when there's a point in your life where you have to be able to say, I don't know everything. Yeah. I'm never going to, I don't have all of the answers. Mm -hmm. And I don't think one person does have all of the answers. Well, all right, let me ask you this. Uh, in looking back, what was your favorite memory on watching the Hawks? Mm. One of my favorites, definitely in the top three, because I can't pick just one, was you and I in Australia in a little boat, <laughs> like a skiff. Wasn't even like a whole boat. It wasn't, it was a little skiff filming like transitions and stuff saying like, hey, welcome watching the Hawks. If you had anything to say, in the, in the back of this boat, while we were in shark-infested waters. That was a good day. That was a really fun day. Yeah, that was definitely up there on my things I didn't think I was going to do. For all of like the insanity of running and creating a daily news commentary show. And doing it when you care. I think that's yes. the other thing. It is a yeah. very easy job to do if you disconnect yourself emotionally from everything that you're reading and don't take it that seriously and just do it. It's an easy job, which is why a lot of people can go to work and then go have drinks afterward and be out and come back the next day and do the same thing all over. Yeah. We, we didn't work that way. No, no. We, we took the extra time. It sometimes scripts were late because news changed. <laughs> news changed and we care about getting the story right and we care about what we're talking about. You know, we, we were passionate about what we were doing and 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 we cared about the things, the, the things and the people and the events that we were talking about to such a degree that we tried to always go that extra mile to make sure that what, what we were doing was was at least right for the moment. You know, it might change, you know, things change as it's news. It's it's always rapidly changing and things like that. But we always put in that extra level of passion and and in, into what we were doing, which, and yeah, you'd come across people who just did not, which is fine. I don't care if you just want to show up and collect a paycheck and do your thing. But then at the same time, don't put on a show that you care. Right. 
you know, don't don't tell your audience that you give a shit about what you're talking about if in truth you don't really give a shit. And one step further. Or it's all performative. Don't say you're an activist. Right. Even don't better. claim to be an activist mm-hmm. when you haven't actively done shit to help any community, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I don't see you out there working soup lines. I don't see you out there, like, you know, doing that. And there was, there was a lot of that where you're kind of like, well, I get the act of doing a show is is part of that but there's still an extra level to that but what what you know but you could tell when people are just there to have their face on tv yeah you know or or look at how cool i am because i agree with this group of people or that group of people and and i want to get invited to the right parties right because it's a little click no matter where it's all high high school we talked about oh yeah yeah it's all high school it's still there people living in little clicks Mm -hmm. and dc is high school it is it is high school that's never grown up it's just take away the mock trial and the mock everything else and mock government and be like, nope, but it's just like that. Yeah. You might as well have sent a bunch of teenagers to figure out how to fix the world. And there was also a lot of people I'd noticed in D.C., even outside of like the news business, uh, there was a lot of people in D.C. you'd come across that were like, wow, you weren't really popular in high school, but now you get to like relive your dream of being popular in high school. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you make the decisions you do and like want to rub elbows with like X, Y, and Z, you know, and that was on every level. It was tragic. It It was was like on every, from, from like the political, like Congress level to the news media level to the activist level. And so you'd have to really search to find like the gems in the rough who you could tell, oh no, this is, you're really doing this because you give a shit. You really are doing this because like you, you care. That's why you're here. Right. And those are the people that I would make time for it when they'd be like, hey, it'd be cool if you could come talk to, you know, our community group about this. And I would go and it'd be a basement. It'd be six people and I didn't care. But then other people would laugh about that and be like oh my god why are you going there's never anybody like it's not oh, the crowd not is so big. small i'm yeah. like oh my christ what is this like the new york social scene <laughs> has the season opened we're we doing this oh i don't like i didn't care about that shit then i don't care about it now and then i get frustrated because that is a huge part of the political landscape mm-hmm. especially through media mm-hmm. is this game of society and who goes to the right party and who talks to the right that and then all the little groups do the exact same thing yeah. well then we have a little event and then we have a little party and you know the mike lindell is having another one of his i'm gonna show you the truth maybe this time conventions again <laughs> this weekend as we filmed this as we filmed this. as we record this he is out doing and i'm like it's it's a sideshow like it's a sideshow it's not even and i think that's the thing it's like i think maybe the first couple of years i thought okay i could maybe do this as a career career three and a half years of trump and that was i was just like nope i can't do this anymore but i think it's because it just seems so pointless we're not when especially when you work really hard at stories that are important and then nobody listens to them or they don't get any quote unquote views or Mm -hmm they don't win the right awards. Right, right, yeah. And then nobody cares about that story. And then it's, well, let's not do anything else with indigenous people because right. that didn't do well. Yeah. Well, let's not do any more women's stuff because that doesn't do well. Yeah, which was hilarious. Like, it's the news, it's culture, it's what's happening. I can't dictate well, uh, <laughs> what's going to be important. You can't do that. 
No. And that was that was my thing. If there was anything about cr my criticism of being like told what to say and what not to say, it was the constant like, mm, that's not really trending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which you could tell that that had nothing to do with fucking Russian propaganda. That was like, you know, the, like. <laughs> I question their taste level. That's what it was. Yeah, it's, it's taste. an. I, it is that moment. It's a taste Project level. Project. It's a taste I level. I question your taste level. Yeah, yeah. Because there were times where it was just like, that's not funny, mm -hmm. or that's not interesting, or that's not actually what that story is. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's hard to explain to people that they're wrong, and that usually doesn't make you a hugely popular person if you are constantly pointing out when people are wrong about things. Right. Right. You know. <laughs> And then the left, that's where it was like things that are disappointing in the left. I didn't expect it to be so misogynist. Yeah. The DC, like that whole, I did not, I really didn't. And I think I was pretty naive not to realize. Yeah. It, it, well, I mean, especially like we were coming from, from the land of, of Hollywood and LA and, you know, pre me Too Hollywood and LA right. as well. Like, you know, we were, we were coming from, from that era of, of, of Hollywood. We both had met Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, we both, we both had, had spent, well, you worked with Harvey Weinstein. I worked Weinstein. with him. You met him <laughs> you know, a few times. Like, you know, we knew the deal. Yeah. Like, we'd seen some real shit. Yeah. And so that's what made like, Hey, we're getting into this really interesting, you know, we're getting into the news and journalism and still storytelling, but it, 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 it was very appealing because you're like, Oh, a, we've really, we enjoyed working with each other. We enjoyed interviewing the different people we'd meet and, and presenting the stories in a unique way. And so when we got the opportunity to go to Washington DC and do that on a truly epic scale, uh, we're like, great, fuck anything to get the fuck out of LA for a while and, and, and take a break from the movie business because God, the movie business was, was filled with you know, misogyny as everyone yeah. later found out. But then to get there and be like, oh shit. DC is just a bunch of people like walking around with a sign that says, we'll sell soul for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and they're just begging for it, yeah. they're like trying because somehow they feel like they'll get to the top of something so they can be in this thing. And you're like, the White House ain't that big. Yeah. Well, but it's like this. No one's lives are affected by a shitty film director or a terrible fucking film producer. Like right. the uh, lives around them are affected, but it's not affecting like millions of people by a shit, like, by, like making a shitty policy decision does. Right. Right. So if I make a good trailer for a bad movie. I am guilty of getting people to see a bad movie. Yeah. In Washington, you have people making decisions like that where it's like, well, I'm going to trick people into thinking this policy is good even if it's going to harm them for decades and their children and grandchildren and will poison the water. That's the thing you're tricking people about. I'm like, there's this silly movie. It might be fun. Probably not, but please go see it. 